If you've got a copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you this morning to turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. This Christmas season, we are focusing on the greatest gift ever given. And the greatest gift ever given wasn't a car, it wasn't a boat, it wasn't a fishing rod or a new rifle or, or anything like that. It wasn't even a piece of expensive jewelry or, or the latest, greatest gaming system. It's none of those things. The greatest gift ever given was the gift of eternal life. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works so that no one will be able to boast. As you read through Romans chapter 4 and chapter 5, you discover that word gift seven times. Times. The gift of God is the main theme. It's the main focus of these two chapters. We are told that salvation is the result of a free gift. We are told that it is a gracious gift. We are told that it is a gift that provides forgiveness. It's a gift that provides redemption and righteousness. We are told that it is the gift of God that makes us right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. But here's the thing. Here's what we need to understand. A gift given is of no value until that gift is received. You see, a gift can be sitting under the tree with your name on it. It can be beautifully wrapped. But until someone comes up, takes that gift, claims it as their own, and opens it, that gift will be of no value to them. That gift will be of no benefit to them. You see, even though the gift has been given... Even though the gift has been paid for, even though the gift may be yours, it's not going to do you any good until you take that gift, you open it, and you claim it as your own. Now, the Bible says that there is a way that we claim the free gift of eternal life. And the way that we claim the free gift of eternal life is through faith. And that's what Romans 4 is all about. It's all about our faith. Last week, we focused on how Abraham is an example of faith to each and every one of us. He is called the father of all who believe, the father of all who have faith. We are told that Abraham believed God, and because he believed God, God counted his faith as righteousness. But today what I want us to do is I want us to dive in and I want us to take an in-depth look at what biblical faith is really all about as we unpack verses 13 through 25. And the first thing I want us to look at is the need for faith. I mean, why is faith needed? God gave us his law. God gave us his standard. God gave us his requirements. He told us how he wants us to live in his kingdom. And so if God gave us his law, if God gave us his standard, why do we need faith? I mean, why can't we just live by God's standard? Why can't we just follow God's law and that ensure us a place in heaven? Well, here's the reason why. 
none of us can perfectly follow the law. Now, some of us may follow the law better than others. Some others of us may follow the law better than most. And there may be one or two of you in here that follow the law better than almost everyone. But here's what I know. There are none of us that perfectly follow the law. And the Bible says that if I am going to get to heaven by following the law, by doing what I believe is right, then I have to follow it perfectly. I have to have a perfect score. And none of us do. James said this. In James chapter 2, verse 10, he said, For the person who keeps all of the law except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. Think about that. The person who has perfectly done what God has told them to do except one thing at one time is just as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws all of the time. Now, here's the truth. None of us have kept the law perfectly. None of us have kept it all the time. And so we're told in God's Word that each and every one of us are as guilty as the worst of sinners. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole world to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment. Let that settle in. The law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. Now, Paul begins this section by making it clear that a right relationship with God does not come by, nor has it ever come by, keeping the law. A right relationship with God has always come through faith. And the reason is, none of us could ever be made right with God by keeping the law. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says this. He says, for no one, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply tells us how sinful we are. You see, when we look at the law, when we look at the standard of God, when we look at the Word of God, we don't come away saying, look how good I am. Look how well I've kept God's commands. We don't do that. When we read the Word of God, when we read the law of God, we come away saying, Oh God, I am helpless. I am hopeless. I have broken your law. That's what James or Paul says. The law only shows us how guilty we are. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, Paul says this, But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. If you are depending on the law, if you are depending on your obedience to what God tells you to do to get you to heaven, you're not going to get to heaven. You are under God's curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. No one. 
There is not one of us who will ever be made right with God by doing what the Bible tells us to do in regard to our morality, in regard to our obedience. The Apostle Paul even said this of himself. And, and if you remember Paul, before he became a follower of Jesus, he was one of the most righteous men in his eyes to ever live. I mean, he sought to follow the law of God. He sought to keep the commands of God. And yet this is what he said. He said, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. The truth is, like Paul said in this chapter, the law always brings punishment. Because the only way that we cannot break the law is to have no law. As long as there is a law, there is a standard that God has set, each and every one of us will break it. Think about it for just a moment. The law never brings justification. The law never will bring a verdict of innocence. The law will never bring an acquittal. The only thing that the law can ever do for you is to bring guilt and punishment. If you are planning on standing before God one day and saying, God, I tried my best. God, I obeyed the Ten Commandments. God, I did this. God, I did that. You don't have a snowball's chance of getting to heaven because the law only brings punishment. And here's the tragedy. There are some of you, perhaps many of you, sitting here right now, that are holding on to the law. And you're probably thinking, well, that's judgmental. No, no, I'm just being honest with you. I'm just trying to be real with you. I believe that many of us are holding on to the law. Now, now you've been in church. You've heard sermons. You've heard Bible studies. You know what the Bible says, that we are saved by faith. And you know that. But in the back of your mind, in the back of your mind, you've got this what if. What if it's not just faith? What if God's going to look at the things that I've done? And that's going to determine why, whether I get into heaven or not. Why should I put all my eggs in one basket? I'm going to have faith in Jesus. I'm going to have faith in God. But I'm going to do my best and work hard too. I mean, I, I want to diversify my portfolio for when I stand before God. The Bible says that if we do that, if we are trying to hold on to faith, and yet we're holding on to the law, we are nullifying our faith. We are making our faith useless, empty, of no purpose. That's what he says here. You cannot hold on to faith and say, I'm saved by faith, and yet at the same time believe that God's going to look at the things that you've done and determine whether you deserve to go to heaven or not. You are either saved by faith alone or you're saved by your works alone. You're not saved by a combination. One of the candidates, the 120 candidates for president of the United States this year, Michael Bloomberg, said in an interview with the New York Times, this is what he said. He said, I'm telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I've earned my place in heaven. 
it's not even close. Now, if you don't like Bloomberg, don't be a hater, okay? Because here's the deal. Bloomberg is just like most people on planet Earth. Most people believe that when we stand before God, our good is going to be weighed up against our bad. And if we've done enough good, if we've given enough money, if we've started enough initiatives, if we've helped enough people, if we've done enough good things, then we're going to march right in and we're going to say, well, God, aren't you glad to have me? And that's where most of us are. And we may not be that direct or arrogant or cocky, but most of us think that, that there's this scorecard and God's keeping score, so I've got to keep score and I've got to make sure, got to make sure that I've done these things God's told me to do. Because if I don't, I probably will never get in. But understand, that's not how we get to heaven. The Bible says that we're not going to ever be justified by keeping the law. I want you to say this with me. My best is not good enough. Say it. I want you to say it again louder. I want you to say it again louder. I want you to say it one more time as loud as you can. My best is not good enough. Hey, listen to me. Your best is not good enough. Your best is never going to be good enough. And if you think somehow, some way, you're going to one day stand before God and you're going to be able to show God your scorecard and he's going to let you in, you're going to be surprised when you stand before God. You see, the law can't save. Being good can't save. Keeping God's commands can't save. It only brings punishment. The wages of sin is death, and you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why do we need faith? Because without faith, you and I have no hope. Because none of us meet the standard of God. Second thing, what is the definition of faith? What does faith mean? Well, the author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 11. He says, faith is being sure of what I hope for. Faith is being certain of what I do not see. The Greek word that is translated faith or belief or believe in the New Testament, pistis, pisteo, that that. One word in your English Bible for faith, for, for belief, for believe, it's all the same Greek word. And, and the word literally means to fully trust. It means to have confident assurance or to have conviction. I want you to listen to what Paul said in verses 16 and 17. He says, so the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift and, and we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. And that is what the scripture means when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. 
Paul said the promise of God is received by faith. He said that we will receive the promise if we have faith like Abraham. So what is faith? Well, I believe a good way to define faith is simply this, standing on the promises of God. That's faith. Faith is standing on the promises of God. Now, all of those words are important. Faith is standing on, resting your weight on, trusting to the point that you are betting your life. You see, faith means in spite of my fears, faith means in spite of my uncertainties, I am willing to jump into the arms of Jesus and trust him to catch me and hold on to me. That's faith. This past summer... I had the opportunity to teach my then three-year-old granddaughter, Asher, to swim. Now, Asher loved the water. She loved to get into the pool and play around, but she had to have her swimmies on. And with her swimmies, man, she was comfortable, she was secure, she was cocky. And she would jump into the pool from the side of the pool. She would jump into the pool off of the diving board. She would just swim around on her belly. She would swim around on her back as long as she had her swimmies. But I said, Asher, you're never going to really enjoy life with swimmies. If you want to learn how to really enjoy life and enjoy the water, you got to learn how to get in the pool without your swimmies. So I said, Asher, you got to take your swimmies off. And so that evening, later on in the evening, Asher went out to the pool all by herself, jumped in without swimmies. No, she didn't do that. (laughs) That would be crazy, wouldn't it? I mean, if she would have done that at three years old, not knowing how to swim, she would have drowned, wouldn't she? She didn't do that. That would have been stupid. She didn't do that. But what she did do is I said, Asher, Poppy's going to teach you how to enjoy here's what you got to do. You got to take your swimmies off. You got to trust Poppy. And you're going to have to jump into the pool. You got to trust Poppy. And when you get up out from under the water, you got to just come to Poppy. And if you do that, I promise you, Asher, that I'll not let anything happen to you. I promise you that if you get tired, I'll grab you. I promise you that if you tell me to help you, I will help you. Poppy will not let anything happen to you. I've got this, but you're going to have to jump in. And so you know what Asher did? She took those swimmies off. She took a running leap into the pool, and she started swimming to Poppy. And in 30 minutes, she was swimming the side length of the pool. And in an hour, she was jumping off the diving board, swimming the full length of the pool at three years of age. Why? Because she trusted Poppy. She knew Poppy loves me. If Poppy tells me to do this, Poppy's going to catch me. Poppy's going to take care of me. Poppy will not let anything happen to me. And that's what faith is. It's trusting God to save us. It's trusting God to sustain us as we walk through life. You see, faith is taking off our our swimmies of self-effort, believing our only hope is jumping in and trusting our heavenly poppy 
to save us. As long as we are wearing the swimmies of self-effort, as long as we are wearing the swimmies of our works, as long as we are wearing the swimmies of our deeds, our righteous efforts, we're never going to experience what it's like to jump in and trust God to save us. And I'm here to tell you, it's a whole lot more fun in the pool without your swimmies. And there are some of you right here, right now, you're in the pool with your swimmies. You say you trust God. You say you've had faith in him, but you got your swimmies on. I'm, I'm going to come to church because <laughs> i got to hedge my bet. The offering plate comes around. I'm going to give some money because i got to hedge my bet. I'm going to say my prayers at least when I need God. Because I'm going to hedge my bet. I'm going to try to treat my neighbor right unless their dog poops in my yard. Because I want to hedge my bet. And, and that's what we do, don't we? We don't say it like that. We would never verbalize it that way. But that's what we're doing. We're saying that we're trusting in God. But we're hedging our bet by the things that we do. You see, faith... Faith is not intellectual agreement with certain facts. I believe in my mind, therefore I have faith. And faith is not an emotional experience that I've had in the past. Faith is an act of the will. Faith is making the decision to jump into the pool, to trust and obey, because there's no other way to be happy with Jesus but to trust and obey. We've got to come to the edge of the pool, take our swimmies off, and say, I'm trusting you, Jesus, because apart from you, I have no hope. Now, notice what Paul says. He says, we receive the promise if we believe like Abraham. Now, Abraham had this radical faith, a faith that believed that God could raise the dead back to life, a faith that believed that God could take dead things or old things and create new things out of nothing. He had that kind of faith, faith that caused him to pick up and move his family to a land that he did not even know where he was going. A, a faith that caused him to trust in God. When God gave him a promise, even when he was old and he had no kids, a promise that God would make him into a great nation and bless the nations through him. A faith that, that trusted God when God said, I want you to take this child of promise that I've given you and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Abraham was willing to do that. Why? Because he had faith that God could raise the dead back to life. He trusted God. And the Bible says that, that if we are going to have a saving faith, it has to be a faith like that. Abraham trusted God totally and completely. That didn't mean that he didn't have seasons of doubts. That didn't mean that he didn't walk through times of uncertainty. But what it did mean is when God told him something, he jumped in and trusted God. And that's what we've got to do. And notice a final thing here about this faith, the object of Abraham's faith. It wasn't faith that saved. It was the God of faith that saved him. You see, your faith doesn't save you. It's your faith in the God who saves that saves you. You can have faith in something that never saves. Let me give you an example. Two guys. 
go to the airport this afternoon, Columbia. They, they need to fly to Los Angeles. This is a morbid story. Tell it anyway. And so the first guy, he has complete confidence in planes. He's not scared of flying. He loves flying. He believes that flying is the safest thing in the world. And so he gets on his plane and he starts flying to Los Angeles and the plane crashes and he dies. The other guy, he's scared to death of flying. He hates flying. Every time he gets on a plane, he wonders, is this plane going to crash? Is there going to be turbulence that knock the plane out of the sky? Is there going to be another plane that crashes into my plane? I mean, he's scared to death, but he gets on the plane, and he arrives safely in Los Angeles. Now, what's the difference? I mean, the first guy had complete faith, but he put his faith in a plane that didn't get him there. The second guy had enough faith to get on the plane, but he was scared to death. He had doubts, he had questions, he had uncertainty, but he got on the plane and he made it to his destination. You see, it's not faith that saves. It's not the amount of your faith that saves. It's the object of your faith that saves. I've got to come to that point where I believe with all my heart that if God says it's not through you it's through me quit trying to earn your salvation trust in me i take off my swimmies of self-effort i jump into the pool into the arms of jesus you see that's what saving faith is third thing the perseverance of faith if we're saved by faith do we remain saved by faith? And is there some point in our journey of faith that we can lose our faith? I've heard people say before, well, I used to have faith. I mean, is that even possible? Is it possible that someone used to have faith that saves, but they no longer have faith that saves? I mean, is that possible? I personally don't think it's Possible. I, I think if you've had saving faith, you will have saving faith. You will always have saving faith. I want you to listen to what it says in verses 18 through 20. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Did you get that? Even when there was no reason to hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. Even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. And don't miss how verse 18 begins. Even though there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. He never stopped believing. You see, faith, saving faith, never stops believing regardless of what happens to us, regardless of what life throws our way, regardless of how bad the times get. Abraham was in an impossible situation. God had promised him, I'm going to make you into a great nation. He had no kids. He was almost 100 years old. Sarah was almost 90. I mean, he was, he, Abraham was past the age of even the little blue pill helping. I mean, he had no hope. And Sarah's womb well, Sarah's, Sarah's womb had no womb in it anymore. I mean, it just, it just wasn't capable of carrying a baby. And yet, in spite of all of that, you know what happened? Sarah got pregnant. She had a baby. Why? 
Because in the midst of the difficulties of life, in the midst of doubt and uncertainty, Abraham and Sarah walked by faith. You see, the question isn't can we lose our faith. The question is, if I've ever experienced real faith, would I ever want to lose my faith. I mean, when we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, when we've experienced the forgiveness of God, when we've discovered what it is to be unconditionally loved by Heavenly Father, why in the world would we ever say, I don't want that anymore? That's ludicrous. And that's what the author of Hebrews is talking about in Hebrews 6. When he talks about losing your salvation, because he says, I am confident of better things for you. In other words, he's saying that if you've tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good, you've experienced the mercy and the grace of God, then there is no way you could ever turn from that. You see, saving faith is a persevering faith. Now that brings up the question, can we lose our salvation? And let me just tell you, that's a silly question. Because salvation is a gift. This year, my wife and I have already bought some presents for our kids and our grandkids. Um, we're, we always try to get ahead of schedule, and we end up, what, you know, still having to buy gifts one day before Christmas. It's terrible. You know, pray for us. I, I mean, I just, I, I don't want to experience that this year. It's just stressful. Okay, got that off my chest. Okay, so, so we already got these gifts. We're ready to wrap. We're ready to give to the kids. Now, do you think... Do you think that, you know, if one of our kids act up or one of our grandkids act up, we're going to take the gift back and, you know, we're going to get our money back? Are are we going to do that? No, we're not going to do that because it's a gift. And I already know my kids, even though they're adults, they're going to act up. Matt's going to act up. He's going to do it. And our grandkids, I mean, goodness gracious, they're going to act up. There are going to be times that they act like they're Poppy's little boy or little girl, and there are other times that they're not going to have anything to do with me. I mean, that's just the way they are. But I have given them a gift, and I'm not going to take it back. You just don't do that. That's not what we do. A gift is something that's given with no strings attached. A gift is something that's given because we love someone, not because they earned it or deserved it or anything else. Let let me give you another way to look at this. I have four kids. One of them, as you know, has passed away. But but those four kids, over the course of, you know, 30-plus years, because our oldest is into his 30s, over those 30-plus years, they've they've aggravated me. (laughs) They've frustrated me. They've done things that have disappointed me. They've done things that have hurt me. Can I go as far to say they've done things that have angered me? It's being real with you. But at the same time, can I say that none of my kids have ever done nor could ever do anything that would cause me to say, you're not my kid. Get out of here. I don't know who you are. This could happen. I mean, they're my kids. I mean, when they were born and I held them for the first time in that that delivery room, I went, whoa, this is mine. They belong to me. And I fell in love with them. And 
And no matter what they have done, and, and almost all of them have done some stupid stuff. No matter what they've done, I never stopped loving them. I never got to the point where I said, they're not mine anymore. Why? Because they were mine. I loved them. And when we are saved, we become a child of God. And God never stops loving us. And it's not a matter of can we hold on to God. No. It's a matter of will he hold on to us. And the answer is yes. The perseverance of our faith. But let's move on. Fourth thing, the growth of our faith. Look at verses 20 and 21. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And don't miss what it says in verse 20. His faith grew stronger. You see, the longer we walk with God, the stronger our faith will become. Did you get that? The longer we walk with God, the stronger our faith will become. Now, why is that true? Well, the reason is because the longer we walk with him, the better we know him and the more we can trust him. You see, saving faith is not only a persevering faith. Saving faith, if it's a saving faith, is a growing faith faith. Now, how does our faith grow? Well, the way our faith grows is we learn to trust God more and more with the different parts of our lives. Now, I was nine years old when I was saved. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I was saved at nine years of age. Jesus changed my life. At nine years of age, I gave Jesus everything I knew about me to everything I knew about him. But I got to tell you, nine-year-olds don't know a lot about themselves. And they know less about God. Would you agree? I mean, nine-year-olds, just they have a lot of learning to do. And I was saved. I gave everything I knew of myself to God, to everything I knew of him. But, but as I grew and I grew older, I learned to trust him with more of my life. I learned to trust him with relationships. I learned to trust him with my finances. I learned to trust him with, with my jobs. I, I learned to trust that he knew better than I did what was best for me. And I learned to trust him as I walked through life. You see, when we grow in our faith, it doesn't mean that we get to this point where we say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you for a million dollars so I can finally buy that house on the lake. That's not what it means. When it talks about us growing in our faith, what it means is we are learning to live our life trusting him regardless of what happens. An example would be, you know, almost three years ago now when our, when our middle son died the day before our youngest son was going to get married. That's, that's a shock to your system. It rocks your world. But you know what? We never once wavered in our faith. We never questioned whether God was good. We never questioned whether God loved us. We never questioned whether God was in control. We never questioned whether God was there. We never questioned those things. Why? Because our faith had grown. And we knew God's on his throne. God's in control. God loves us. And though we don't like these circumstances. We trust the hand of the God who's taking care of us. And that's what growing in your faith 
is all about. It's not this health and wealth prosperity thing where you name it and claim it. It means that you just know that you can trust God because he's good. He loves you. He has your best interest at heart. And that takes us to the final thing we see in this passage, and that is the results of faith. Listen to what it says in verses 22 through 25. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. I love that. Assuring us that God will also count us righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins. He was raised to life to make us right with God. You see, faith results in a right standing with God. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's only Jesus. It's only faith. It's only grace. It's not faith plus your efforts. It's not faith plus your religion. It's not faith plus any of that. It's faith alone. And there are some of you here, I am sure of this, there are some of you here that are holding on to your religion, your efforts to get you to God. And you're living in bondage. And if God has opened your eyes, I beg you today to acknowledge before God that it's only through faith in Him you can be saved give him your life and walk in freedom and he will change everything and the crazy thing is listen to me the crazy thing is those things that you were doing because you believe that they helped you get to heaven you're going to still want to do a lot of those things but it's because you want to you're going to read the bible not because god wants you to but you're going to read the bible because you want to know god You're going to pray, not because that's going to help you get to heaven. You're going to pray because, man, you want to talk to God and you want to hear from God. You're going to give. But it's not because God has got some treasury in heaven and he's keeping a record of all that you've given. No, you want to give because you want to partner with him in his mission on earth because you love him. You see, it changes everything. Faith changes everything. So my question for you this morning is, have you taken the step of faith? Have you taken the leap off the edge of the pool into the arms of Jesus, trusting him alone to save you? Because when you do, I'm here to tell you, it changes everything. I want you to bow your head. Close your eyes. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed. If you're here and you know that you've been relying on works, your efforts, what you can do to get you to heaven, then what I want to ask you to do today is humble yourself before God and trust Jesus alone to save you and let him transform your life because you're not going to find what you're looking for in the works of this world. In the religions of this world, you're going to only find it in Jesus. So I beg you, 
turn loose of your efforts. Leap into the arms of Jesus. Let him save you. If that's where you're at, that's what you need to do. No matter how long you've been in church, no matter how many prayers you've prayed before, if you're here and that's what you need to do today, then I want to encourage you to pray this prayer right now. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me. Forgive me for relying on my efforts to get to heaven. I know my best isn't good enough. I know it never will be good enough. I know I am a sinner undeserving of heaven. And yet you love me. I don't understand it. But thank you. Today, I'm trusting you alone to save me. Placing my faith in you. Taking off all the efforts that I've tried in the past to make me right with you. Jumping into your arms. Jesus, I believe you died to pay for all my sins. I believe you rose from the dead, defeating death and sin for me. I'm trusting you. I'm giving my life to you. I'm yours. Jumping into your arms. Wherever you lead me, wherever you take me, I'm yours. I trust you. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. Thank you for answering my prayer today. Fill me with your spirit. Guide me as I walk through life. Amen.